Okay, we are in Genesis chapter 49. Genesis chapter 49. And we are, we are listening in on the will, in a sense, of, of uh, Jacob as he's just about to die after he pronounces all of these things and tells his sons what's going to be happening not recently, but in the future, not, not near time, but in the, in, the, in the distant future, in the far future, what's going to be happening to them. And we can learn from their lives. So let's pick it up again at chapter 49, verse 1. Then Jacob summoned his sons and said, Assemble yourselves that I may tell you what will befall you in the days to come. Gather together and hear, O sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, preeminent in dignity, preeminent in power. Uncontrolled as water, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers, their swords are implements of violence. Let my soul not enter into their counsel. Let not my glory be united with their assembly. Because in their anger they slew men, and in their self-will they lamed oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will disperse them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So he looked last time at his son Reuben. Reuben, being the firstborn, should have been the one who was preeminent, and he was. But he was uncontrolled as water, and the realm in which he fell was in his inability to control himself sexually, and he ended up uh, sleeping with one of Jacob's wives. So this is, he went and he slept with, with, uh, uh, with his father's wife. And, and uh, uh, he says in verse 5, because he went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it, he went up to my couch. So remember, the sexual things are spoken of in euphemisms in the Bible, because, because uh, it's viewed as too crude to say it uh, uh, in more descriptive terms. But this is as descriptive as it can be. He was uncontrolled in his life, and because of that, his brothers didn't listen to him at all. He, had, he should have been the one to whom they always looked, being the oldest, but they didn't listen to him at all. Now let's look at Simeon and Levi. Simeon and Levi are brothers. So these are the only two of the sons that Jacob is going to lump together. And uh, uh, he says, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are implements of violence. And so if you turn back to chapter 34 of the book of Genesis, chapter 34, we can remind ourselves of what these two brothers did in chapter 34. So what happened was a young man of the land, a Canaanite named Shechem, ended up sleeping with their sister Dinah by force. And, uh, um, and he then went and appealed to his father to speak on, on, uh, on, on their behalf and uh, uh, to, to go and, and to uh, uh, speak on their behalf and, and uh, to say, look, I, I really love this young lady. I want to marry her. I really want to, want to marry her. But um, uh, so they made an agreement, Simeon and Levi and the brothers made an agreement. If you and your men are circumcised, then we can consider this. So the men of that city all got circumcised. Their intent 
wasn't totally pure because they, they, their intent was to end up with all the, the riches that, that Jacob had. Nonetheless, in verse, in verse 24, uh, we'll pick it up in verse 25 of chapter 34 of the book of Genesis, 34:25. Now it came about on the third day when they were in pain, the two sons of Jacob, the, the, two, the two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came upon the city unawares and killed every male. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the edge of the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went forth. Jacob's sons came and they, and upon the slain and looted the city because they had defiled their sister. They took the flocks, the herds and their donkeys and that which was in the city and that which was in the field. And they captured and they looted all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives, even all that was in the houses. So Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble on me by making me odious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And my men being few in number, they will gather together against me and attack me, and I will be destroyed, I and my household. But they said, should they treat our sister as a harlot? So you see, even when he reproved them, they didn't back down. They were, they too were uncontrollable. They were uncontrollable in their anger. They took their swords and they made them implements of violence. This was very different than the type of uh, uh, work that, that uh, Joshua was, was going to be part of. And they were implements of violence and they killed off all the men in the city. Jacob was nothing like this, nothing like this at all. We never see Jacob in his life picking up a sword. In fact, he fled so as not to have a confrontation with his brother. He wasn't at all a soft man, not at all. It, sa- it speaks of, of, of Jacob in the highest of terms. In Genesis chapter 25, verse 27, it uses the Hebrew word tam, tam. That word is only spoken of, of Noah and Job and Jacob in the Bible. That means a peaceful man. He was a peaceful man or a great man. There's only two others in the Bible that are spoken of that way, Noah and Job. He was a terrific man. He wasn't a pushover in any way. That's why his mother said to him, flee from here because your, 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 your brother Esau is after you. And she said, why should I lose my two sons on one day? Knowing that if Esau tried to confront him, Jacob was not a pushover at all. He would kill Esau in the process. We learn about Jacob that he was enormously strong. He goes from there to Paran to find his wife. When the women are there by the well, the shepherdesses by the well, they can't move the stone. They have to wait, they said, until the shepherds, multiple shepherds come to help move that stone. He was able, Jacob was able to move that stone all by himself. He was a very strong man. Yet nonetheless, he never showed that in the sense that that. Back when his his father-in-law came after him, he tried very hard to avoid any battle with his father-in-law. He tried very hard later to to make all amends with with uh, with Esau, not to have any battle with them. He was a man of peace. That's what he demonstrated to his children. You know, uh, um, sometimes parents can can demonstrate the nicest, kindest Christian attitudes to their children, but their children do not always walk in those themselves. And uh, it bothered Jacob so much 
that he remembers this. He wanted, before he died, he wanted to make sure that everybody knew that he never condoned what had happened to the village of Shechem. He never condoned that. That was not part of his decision. And he said to them, your swords are implements of violence, back in chapter 49 of Genesis. Let my soul not enter into their council. Let not my glory be united with their assembly. He didn't even want his soul entering into their council. You know, there's a verse in Psalm 112, verse 1 and 2. Psalm 112, verse 1 and 2 says, Praise the Lord, how blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. If you fear the Lord and greatly delight in his commandments, look at what the outcome of this can be. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. If you fear the Lord and make and, and delight in his commandments, your descendants can be mighty on earth and they will be greatly blessed. That's what Psalm 112 verse 1 and 2 says. You want the best thing for your children? Make the word of God your absolute delight. Spend time in the word of God. Make your word of God, the word of God, your absolute delight. And it will cause your children to be blessed in this world. It says his descendants will be mighty on earth. That's a promise. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. And so he says, I don't want the blessing that they could have had from being my children to be upon them. I don't want my counsel to be part of them. Let not my soul, in, in, in Genesis 49, verse 6, let not my soul enter into their counsel. Let not my glory be united with their assembly. You see, the outcome of their sin, the outcome of their violence, their uncontrollable violence, the outcome of their violence was that he didn't even want the blessing that would normally be transferred for being the son of a man of God. He didn't even want that transferred into their counsel. When we are uncontrollable with our emotions, uncontrollable with our attitudes, we separate ourselves from blessing. Then he says, in, he says, because in their anger they slew men and in their self-will they lamed oxen. This is where you take oxen and you, you cut their, their tendon. So they're absolutely useless. They can't even feed themselves and, and they're, they're, they're not usable. It's just a way of torturing them. Because in their anger they slew men and in their self-will they lamed oxen. He's saying specifically, this is from the time that you did this in Shechem. That's why this is happening to you. Now look what he says in verse 7. Cursed be their anger for it is fierce and their wrath for it is cruel. He curses their anger he curses their wrath. He never curses them. He does not curse his sons. He curses their anger. He separates their sin from them as individuals. He hated their sin. He loved them as, as his sons. He cursed their anger for it is fierce and their wrath for it is cruel. He was a man of peace and he cursed them for their anger. He says their attitude is absolutely cursed. I have no part in the decision that they had made to do that. And their wrath for it is cruel. And then he says, I will disperse them in Jacob and I will scatter them in Israel. Next time we'll look at the different divisions in the land and how the outcome of this was manifest. But he curses their anger for it is fierce and their wrath for it is cruel. 
He curses them because of their attitude. There was this, this no blessing was transferred as firstborn to Reuben because of his lack of control in the sexual realm. No blessing was transferred to Simeon and Levi because of their lack of self-control in their anger and in their wrath. I want to look again what is called upon us. Look again at Titus chapter 2, the book of Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. We are, are instructed to deny ungodliness. We are instructed to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. See what it says? I am to deny my worldly desires. I cannot feed my worldly desires and say, well, that's just the way I was born. That doesn't work with God. That doesn't work. He says we are to deny our worldly desires. We are to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. My prayer should be, Lord, protect me. Lord, keep me from temptation. Deliver me from evil. You know, you, you know my struggles, Lord, in the sexual realm. You know my struggle, Lord, with anger. Lord, protect me, I pray. Lord, protect me. We cannot let these things master us. I want you to see the call of Jesus in Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus makes his call to people who want to follow him, people who want to be his disciple. Now remember, I am speaking right now to people in the church. If you do not know the Lord, I'm going to speak directly to you in a minute. But right now I'm speaking to people who call themselves believers in Jesus Christ. Is If Jesus is our Lord, we have a responsibility to follow him. If we choose not to follow him, he is not our Lord. And if as a church we choose not to follow him, the church will cease being the church. Jesus says in, in Luke chapter 9, let's start reading from verse 23. And he was saying to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. Was everything going well with Jesus at this time? Well, let's look up at verse Luke chapter 9, verse 22. The Son of Man, he was saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Jesus said, I am going to be killed. And then he says in verse 23, And he was saying to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. This is the call of Jesus upon his disciples. We must deny ourselves. We must deny our own earthly desires. We were told in Titus chapter 2 that we must deny these worldly desires. Jesus tells, tells us we must deny ourselves. That means I cannot fill all my earthly desires. I cannot fulfill them. These desires are wrong. These worldly desires are wrong. And God has something better for me. He was saying to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It is a daily struggle. It is a daily struggle dealing with the attitudes in my own life. It is daily. It is not, okay, well, I've got this thing mastered. If you think you've got these things mastered, oh, you are in for a fall. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. 
This is daily. We, they are never, we are never past these things. If you think that, that things in the sexual realm could never trap you, I urge you to fall on your knees and cry out to God and say, Lord, protect me. Protect me from my own attitude, thinking that I'm able to defend myself from this. Lord, keep me from temptation and deliver me from evil. We are to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. And he says, whoever wishes to save his life will, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he, will, he is the one who will save it. Let's, let's look at, at, at another verse, what Paul calls us to. Look in the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians, chapter 5. It's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You can think of General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. The book of Galatians. We're going to start reading in chapter 5 at verse 19. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says the deeds of the flesh are evident. And now Paul gives his list. He starts the list with those things that are in the sexual realm because he knows people. He knows our greatest areas of weakness. And I speak generally to young people. And Paul keys right in on this. And young people, if you think that these temptations, you will be rid of these after you, you're, you stop being a teenager. And then after you stop being in your 20s. No way. These things will just follow you. Paul starts there. He says, these are the deeds of the flesh. Immorality, impurity, sensuality. He starts with the deeds of the flesh. This is encompassing of all sexual desires. He says that, that there is a wrongness that can happen when there's immorality, impurity, sensuality. Then he deals with idol worship, idolatry, sorcery, enmity. Did you know Jesus didn't deal with issues of idolatry very often? He didn't. Because that was not something that was a problem to Jews in the first century. It was a huge problem to the, to the children of Israel. Prior to the first diaspora, prior to their being conquered by Babylon, uh, after the sins of Manasseh. And then after they came back to the land from Babylon, being banished from the land for 70 years, the rabbis got together and they really analyzed what got them into this fix. One of them was idolatry. Another one was not giving a Sabbath rest to the land. And the third one was not being gracious to the poor people in need. That's what the rabbis concluded. And so you will see in the Bible, after that first diaspora, after that return from Babylon, idol worship was never a problem in Israel again. And that same pattern remains to this day. In Israel, idol worship is not a problem. The bowing down to idols, the setting up of foreign idols remains to this day not a problem. God really broke them of that in the 70-year banishment from the land in, the, in, in Babylon. You don't see Jesus addressing uh, uh, this, this idol worship 
because he was dealing primarily instructing the children of Israel in the first century. But now when Paul is called to the Gentiles in the first century, he deals head-on with idol worship. Deals with it head-on. And he says idolatry, sorcery, enmity. Idolatry and sorcery. Those are the next ones. Then, Then it's enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying. These are the types of things that encompass what, what Simeon and Levi were dealing with. These outbursts of anger, these disputes, these dissensions. All of us have these characteristics in our lives. Maybe we don't have idol worship in our lives where we're bowing physically before idols. You go to other parts of the world and that's a real problem. You, you'll, you'll find in this list, this jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions envying when we long to have something that somebody else has one of the ways we break this when we see them have it rejoice that that other person has it that's what uh, uh, c.s lewis teaches us when somebody receives something great just say i am so happy for you that you have that rejoice with them that they have that rejoice with them drunkenness carousing that he deals with this attitude of drunkenness and carousing. Drunkenness would be in our day and age, even the taking of drugs, something that is going to bring changes to your brain and in the behavior of your brain, your brain. Then he says, and things like these. So that's, he says, it's not just this list. He says things like these. So it encompasses. If you say, well, I have this and it's not in that list. It's things like these. Then he says this, of which I forewarn you. Just as I have forewarned you, since I told you before, I'm telling you again, Paul says, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who practice such things. It is not that somebody has an outburst of anger. It is those who practice such things, who make this a thing of practice. In other words, am I dealing with this? Am I denying myself? Am I trying to fight this thing off? That is different than just succumbing to it and say, well, God made me this way. This is the way God made me. You know, I'm, I'm just, you know, I, I just, you, you know, I, I just enjoy sex too much. God made me this way. You know, God made me this way. You, you got you to gotta appreciate that fact. Uh, take it up with my creator. God made me, made me this way. No, I can't do that. I can't do that. I mean, if, if you look at, at, at most men, I mean, if, if they were to allow their emotions to just go, go crazy, they would have uh, polyamorous relationships, which means that they would have many, many women in their lives. We are not permitted to do that. We are not permitted to do that. We are to have, men are to have one wife and one wife only, and that is to be for life. Jesus closed all sorts of loopholes, all sorts of loops, loopholes. And, and uh, you can look in, in, in Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 6. You see these, 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 these dichotomies where they came to him. And Jesus said, you will hear it says a man, uh, a man should, should not uh, uh, divorce his wife for any reason at all. He says, but I tell you, if you look at a woman to lust for her, you've committed adultery already with her in your heart. Jesus constantly took the Jewish law and he did change the Jewish law. He did. He fulfilled all of the the laws of Moses and he changed it. But the key is, in which direction did he change it? In every time he changed the direction, he made it harder. He made it harder. He made the barrier higher. He says, I'm telling you, 
You used to be able to divorce your wife. You could give her a writ of divorce. He says, I'm telling you right now, you look at a woman to lust for her. You've committed adultery already with her, with her in your heart. In every instance, he says, you used to be able to do this. Now I tell you this six times in that teaching in Matthew. That was in Matthew 5, 28. But six times you'll see this. He raises the bar over the, the Jewish law. We are held to higher accountability because it's what's in my heart. It's not just what I do with my hands. It's what's in my heart. He says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I am a firm believer that once you are saved, you are always saved. So when he says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, there is a loss of inheritance. These sons of Joseph remained his sons. Uh, These sons, I'm sorry, of Jacob remained his sons. They stayed his sons. But he cursed them and they did not enjoy the inheritance that they could have had. There is a loss of inheritance if we are succumbing to these desires, these worldly desires that we are called to, to, uh, to give up. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians and we're going we're gonna to read uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And verse 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. So, If you have a struggle in life, you are not alone. You are not alone. Many people share that struggle. It's common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. God provides a way of escape. We can never pin this thing on God. God provides a way of escape. He really provides a way of escape for us. God is the one who does this. God provides the way of escape for us. He provides a way of escape. There is victory over sin. Salvation is not a sham. There is victory in this. You know, what I have found is very often young people will follow the commandments of God, will follow the ways of the Lord. They will do this. They will follow the ways of the Lord. If they are instructed, if they are instructed, if young people are instructed, this having of sex before marriage, if you think that because you're, you're not married, you can, you can uh, participate in sex, this falls into this realm of fornication and sensuality. You will not inherit the kingdom of God if you participate in this. But if you battle with your own flesh to overcome this, the inheritance will be yours. Because with God provides the way of escape. And there are certain things that you do in life. A way of escape from falling into this. One of the ways of escape from falling into this can be that God puts you in such a position where you don't put yourself in those situations. If a young man goes over a young woman's house, you are primed. I mean, absolutely primed to fall into it. Don't go over their house. Don't be with them in an alone situation. If you are alone, you are susceptible to these things. 
then you think, well, it wouldn't happen to me. It'll happen to you. You stay out of those situations. You visit in public places. You don't get alone with people. This is one of the ways you protect yourself. God provides a way of escape. Are you going to take that way? That's the whole idea. He provides the way of escape for us. We don't have to, to fall into that way. You know, if you think of Eve, if you, if you think back in the book of, of Genesis, if you look back in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3, the temptation that came to Eve, if you look at that temptation that came to Eve in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it says, when the woman saw, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. You know, if God had set as the commandment that they were not allowed to do something, he could have given them the commandment, don't kill, don't ever kill anybody. And people would have agreed, you know, that's, that's really a heinous thing. But what he did is he said, there's this one fruit. You can enjoy all the fruit in this garden, but that one fruit on that one tree, I don't want you to touch. And she looked at it and she saw it was a delight to the eyes. And the tree was desirable to make one wise. I mean, it's, it's delightful. It's still desirable. God must be trying to keep something from me that's really good. And she fell. Many of the things that draw us astray, we look at them, and if we look with our own mind, we think, but it's really not that bad. It's a victimless crime. It's not that bad. And Paul warns us, this will keep you from your inheritance. It is a serious issue. And God's grace is sufficient for us. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians, book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And again, in this, he is speaking to the Gentile people. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said, I had a thorn in the flesh. He doesn't describe to it what it is. He says, a thorn was given to me in the flesh. And he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, reading from verse 8, concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. So Paul has a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it is. Some people suppose it was his eyes, that he had bad eyesight because he says, in one case, the people looked at me and they would have plucked out their own eyes and given them to me. Another place, he says, see how I'm writing with, my, with, my, with this large script, my, my, the, the way in which I am writing. We don't know what it is, but something was making the ministry harder for him. Some thorn in his flesh in his life. And he asked God three times to remove this thorn of the flesh. And God said, no. God would not remove it. God said no by saying, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. That's it. That was God's answer. Does God answer prayer? Yes. Sometimes the answer is no. His answer was, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. You're going to remain with that thorn. Then he says, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, I've been very open on that teaching on, on the Internet, on scriptural sexual ethics that I talked about last week. My own struggles with 
my own lust toward women, and, and, uh, which has been a battle my entire life. When I got saved, the battle didn't go away. The pornography went away, but the battle in my mind never went away. And I'm telling you, I thought, Lord, deliver me from this. It carried through my 20s. And I got married at the age of 22. I thought, in my 30s, it'll go away. In my 40s. In my 50s. And now I'm in my 60s. And it's still with me. And I was talking with a young, uh, a young man the other day. And he was saying, you know, when you talk about the struggles that you have, that encourages a lot of other young men now. Because they think, wow, if Dr. Tour has struggled with this his whole life, he knows what it's like. And look what God has done with him. And, and I confess, that is absolutely true. God has not delivered me from this. And I glory in the fact that for me, it is a constant, constant struggle. Because what happens is, other young men see a, my constant str- struggle. And my openness about this and how I have to fight this and I have to, how I have to die daily. And in that scriptural sexual ethics series, I talk about how the prayer that I pray when I see a beautiful woman, Lord, thank you for this beautiful woman, for the way you have made her, that she is a child of yours, that she's been made in the image of God. Keep me, keep me from abusing her in my own mind. And they see the struggle that I have how I have to daily deny my flesh. All of us, all of us, what gives me solace, all of us is that, is that uh, uh, have struggles in our lives. And all of us have to die daily. But what he says is I glory in this. I have the power to overcome it because of Jesus Christ, my Lord. And I don't blame this on God that, oh, God made me this way. God did not make me this way. God did not make me. This is my own sinfulness. This is my own sinfulness. I am not blaming this on God. This is because of my own sinful heart. What God does is he provides a way of escape for me. He provides a way of escape. Let, turn to uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Book of 2 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 1 verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our afflictions, which have come to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivers us from so great a peril and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope, he will deliver us. God allowed them to be in such a situation that they despaired even of life. They thought, we're not, we're not going to overcome this. But God delivered them. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're going through in your marriage. I don't know what you're going through in your life, in your relationships. But I can tell you this. God took the cross, the very worst thing that could ever happen in eternity, where the Son of God is crucified by men. By his own creation, the Son of God is crucified by men. He took that and he turned it around to be glory and power. And how dare I think that my marriage is in such a state that it couldn't bring glory. That the struggles that I have in this life or the struggles that I have with my, in the sexual realm, that it couldn't be used for the glory of God. How dare I think that it couldn't be used for the glory of God when God can take that event 
of the cross and turn that into a glory. He can take my struggles, the struggles in my heart. He can take the conflict that I've had in my own marriage, in my own married life, or that you have in your married life, and he can turn it around for good. That gives hope and is a testimony of God's power for life. That's the way our God works. If you are a believer in Christ, you are called to something higher. You used to be be able to get away with things. Not anymore. Jesus has closed the loopholes. Again and again, he closed those loopholes. You have heard it said, now I tell you. You have heard it said, now I tell you. And you, you read through Matthew chapter 5, and you will see six times Jesus does this. He calls us to a higher level. And that's why Paul says, I warned you before, I'm warning you right now. If you practice these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You will experience great loss in this life and in the life to come. Just like Simeon and Levi did not have the blessing of their father's counsel coming into their life like was promised in the word of God, like is promised. They lost out on that and they lost out in the next life. There's inheritance that we lose out on when we, when we feel that we need to, to bow down to this. I want to reach out now to those who are struggling with same-sex attraction and homosexuality. I want to be very sensitive to this because there is no doubt you've gone through struggles and you feel, you feel uh, left out by the church, you feel denied. Let me tell you, my heart goes out to you, but God's victory is there. If you would please read a short book, it's a short book, it's called Born Again This Way. Uh, like people say, I've born, I was born this way, that book is Born Again This Way. It's by a woman named Rachel Gilson, G-I-L-S-O-N, Born Again This Way by Rachel Gilson. It is a short book. She is a same-sex attracted woman who was active in the homosexual lifestyle as a college, as a high school and college student. And she gave her life to Jesus. She talks about the continual struggle with this. And I want you to read her words. I want you to read that. That is not a struggle that I have ever had. But it's something that I want to sympathize and empathize with you. And I want to say that read her book, Born Again This Way. And I offer that to you. For those here who are believers, we are called to something higher. For those of you on this call who are unbelievers, you cannot have this victory in your life. You will be unable to fight these things without Jesus Christ coming into your life. And Jesus Christ comes into your life by the invitation and the acceptance of his lordship, that he is in charge of your life, that he tells you something, you're going to do it, and by the belief in his resurrection from the dead. And you are among the elect if you're on this call, because if you weren't among the elect, you wouldn't be on this call. And I urge you to accept him. Send me an email to tour at rice.edu. We will meet together one-on-one -on -one by Zoom and I will share with you, I will share with you the gospel and you will get saved that very day and then you will have power and victory over these things in your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the power of your word and for the truth of it. Lord, I pray for these young people to, that you would protect them from destroying their lives by succumbing to their own worldly desires. We have been called 
to put away these worldly desires, to fight them and to deny ourselves and to follow Jesus. And Father, I pray for these young people that they would not succumb to these worldly desires, but they would deny themselves. And Lord, I pray for those on this call that are struggling in their marriages. Lord, I pray that you would take the pain of their marriage, that pain which can be all-consuming day and night. And Lord, I pray that you would bring it into glory in their lives. That through this, that you would turn it into a glory. Father, I pray for those who are holding on to their marriages and their spouses are not holding on at all. Lord, I pray for them that you would cause them to experience the power of God in their lives. Lord, your mercy and your grace be there. Your mercy and grace. Lord, I pray your blessing, your blessing to come and your blessing to flow. The power of Jesus be glorified in our lives, I pray. And Lord, for those here who do not know you, bring them to that place where they would meet with me so that they too could be led into a victorious life in Jesus. And I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.